Welcome back to Sports Crunch with Ukram, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. It is officially August. We are a week into 2018 NFL training camps. And tonight, the preseason kicks off with the Hall of Fame game between the Ravens and the Bears. And a week from tonight, the rest of the National Football League will join in the preseason festivities. We will talk about the Hall of Fame game later on in the program. But first, we're going to discuss some of the major storylines of the first week of training camp. And joining us now to do just that is my right-hand man, Hal Bent of BostonSportPage.com. How are you, Hal? I'm doing great, David. Thank you for having me back. Always glad to be here and happy it's August and time for football. It's time for football indeed. And without further ado, let's discuss uh, some of the major news uh, surrounding these training camps. And we begin with the Raiders. And not only is Khalil Mack arguably their best player holding out of camp, but A, the Raiders have not held any talks with his camp since February. And there was a report by Adam Schefter that says that he and John Gruden haven't even spoke at all since Gruden was hired. And there was other reports saying they've only spoken once, but either way, you got the picture. And B, when asked if the Raiders' defense can function without Khalil Mack, John Gruden said, quote, Our defense wasn't good last year, even with Khalil Mack. While that may be true, I personally believe that that comment reflects some tea leaves on this front. And those tea leaves suggest to me that Khalil Mack stays as a Raider might be numbered. What is your interpretation of that situation, Hal? Well, in a way, I think Gruden, as kind of an old-school guy, is trying to light a fire under that Raiders defense as it is. He probably hasn't been very happy with what he's seen on tape from last year and in the first week or so of training camp. So that's a part of it there. There has been talk about... Oakland, you know, trading Mac, you'd have to get a lot back for him to make it worth your while to do that. Um, I'm not sure if heading into Vegas very soon, Oakland wants to give up that marquee defensive player uh, that's going to help draw the, the fans and get those season tickets sold in Vegas as well. So hopefully it's just posturing at this point. I think it's going to get to a, a point in time where Gruden's going to go to Reggie McKenzie and just say, let's just get this done. I don't care how you do it. Get my best defensive player on the field now. That would be in the best interest of both parties in D, and hopefully the Raiders do just that. And moving to the Rams, and as was expected, Aaron Donald is holding out from Rams camp. And in addition, Adam Schefter reported last week that some around the NFL believe that the 2017 Defensive Player of the Year will not play another snap until he gets a new contract. If you're Aaron Donald, see that Brandon Cooks, who hasn't even played a down for the Rams, and Todd Gurley, who, as talented as he is, he plays a position of significantly less value, have already gotten paid, and you are still yet to get paid until after week one, how many regular season games would you be willing to miss? And if you're the Rams, do you do everything you can to get a deal done before week one? Well, if I'm the Rams, definitely. They've been throwing money around. They still have money available in the, the coming years. There's contracts coming off the books next year. They can make the money work and pay Donald. I don't know if they're waiting around to see if the Khalil Mack deal gets done first or what that is. But if I'm Aaron Donald, you know, as long as you don't go past those eight games and have your 
contract situation stay exactly the same next year and have that that season toll so that he's back in the same spot you know I wouldn't be in any rush to get back into training camp for him because if anybody deserves that long-term deal from the Rams with all the money that's been thrown around it is definitely Aaron Donald it most certainly is and if you were Aaron Donald and let's suppose this drags on until week one how many games are you willing to miss if necessary? I'd miss up to eight games. I'd say, you know, do it sort of like um, you've seen the holdouts in the past with a when it's really a hard line situation. You come back, you play half that season, you don't have that year toll, and, you know, blast your way out of town after that if that's what it takes. But for him, yeah, I'd sit out the whole first half of the season to, to see the, the hundreds of millions of dollars we know the NFL is still healthy, that these teams are making tons of money. You know, there's no reason for Donald not to get his or to go out on this one-year deal, basically, is what he's playing on this year and risk a major injury. Oh, I, I completely agree. But you also brought up a good point. The Rams just might be waiting to see um, how Khalil Mack's contract looks when that gets done or if it gets done. Uh, because they probably think that Aaron Donald deserves more money than Khalil Mack. And it's a common debate, like, which defender do you think is more valuable? Is it Aaron Donald or is it Khalil Mack? If you had to pick one of those two, who would it be? Oh, for me, it would be Aaron Donald. To have that interior pass rush, it's so much more difficult to to get enough bodies, to have enough talent at the guard and center position. And Donald is just such a freak athlete that that quick first step for a player, his size, the power, the ability to get in the backfield. I really like Khalil Mack, but there's three or four edge rushers who are kind of equal to him. Aaron Donald is, you know, maybe a healthy J.J. Watt is the only player that's in his stratosphere. Oh, I completely agree. And as they say, it's the interior pressure that frustrates most of the elite quarterbacks of this league. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you name it. They say the pressure that bothers them the most is when a guard or center is driven back into their lap initially and it forces them to change uh, the launch point of the pocket. It gives them the most headache. And Aaron Donald is one of the few players in this league capable of delivering that pressure day in and day out. And that's why by the end of the day, he deserves to be the highest paid player ahead of Khalil Mack, ahead of Von Miller, and ahead of uh, everybody, so to speak. And now let's talk about a very, very puzzling situation in Chicago that only gets more puzzling by the day. And Roquan Smith, being the lone 2018 draft pick yet to sign his rookie contract, and that contract is unlikely to get signed anytime soon. Earlier this week, it was said that the reason why this game of chicken was not going to slow down anytime soon was said to be because of the controversial new helmet rule approved by the owners in the spring. And Smith's camp wants language in the contract that will prevent the Bears from voiding the guaranteed money in the event that he does get suspended for violating that rule, which, in my opinion, is very, very vague and might be eventually be rendered uh, unforceable. The Bears, however, as was just reported today by David Haw of the Chicago Tribune, say that a behavior clause, which obviously relates to off-the-field conduct, is what's holding this up as opposed to the helmet rule. Haw went on to report that the Bears actually have conceded that the guaranteed money would be off limits in the event of a helmet rule-related suspension. 
This situation, as I said, just keeps getting more and more confusing by the day. Who do you believe? Roquan Smith's camp or the Bears? Well, I'm with, I'm with Roquan Smith on this one. I think, you know, they're without the guaranteed contract in the NFL. Eventually, these agents have to take a hard line and protect their players. That's what they're getting paid for. Rokon Smith is going to be an excellent player, whether he misses the first week, the first two weeks, the first three weeks of camp. There's nothing to worry about there. There's no major character flags in Rokon Smith. They shouldn't be teams protecting themselves but from the player being a bust by putting these kind of caveats into the contract. The the agency has to take a hard line. I'm glad that they're doing that. I was kind of disappointed that uh, Sam Darnold's agent did not take that same hard line with the Jets at acquiescing and getting him into camp. Um, obviously, because as a quarterback, he needs that time in the camp if he's going to play this year. But for Smith, I'm very glad to see that his agents are standing strong and pushing back against the NFL and not getting these contracts that are going to hurt a player three, four years down the road. Yes, and even though uh, Roquan Smith might have gotten his wish, if this David Hall report is correct, that uh, his guarantees will not be voided if he does get suspended under the new helmet rule, um, character concerns are vague in their own right, too. Like, the way these contracts are worded by NFL teams are very vague when they... um, defined behavior like what would you define bad off the field behavior uh should you get your money uh your guaranteed money voided if you um shoot somebody on fifth avenue oh of course you should but should you do it for um um, stealing um crab legs no you shouldn't and the and the nfl teams i think would want to void guaranteed money if they shoplifted so it's a very complicated issue but i completely agree roquan smith has every right to force the Bears to set a new precedent here because as Kirk Cousins showed with the first fully guaranteed contract uh, in NFL history this past spring, every dollar is worth fighting for. And especially if you're a rookie that is being paid on a strict pay scale, you have to fight to keep every dollar possible in case uh, you suffer a serious career-threatening injury uh, under that rookie contract. Oh, definitely, for sure, David. And and the other concern the players have to have as well is anything that's related to off-field behavior. You know, there could be any random person can file a police report or, you know, there's these people, you know, trying to get your money away from you that may be trying to set you up for something. So they have to be extra concerned about that. The NFL has all these rookie symposiums and conferences to help these rookies try to protect themselves And then for the teams to leave them vulnerable to those situations like this with the contract language just seems to be counterintuitive to what they're trying to help these players with at the same time. So if they can take a stand, if they can get more guaranteed money and keep it in the players' pockets, I remember when Ben Watson was a rookie with the Patriots back in 2004, and there was a very lengthy holdout where his agents would not budge on that. And that was back when they had the six-year contracts for the rookies were still allowed. And had Watson's agents not taken that hard line, now you're seeing the benefit of the players who are the four-year contract for the second round and on. 
the four year and the option for the first round players to get these players more players to get to those second contracts and more guaranteed money rather than toiling away at a way much lower rate than they uh, deserve based on their level of play. So this is where the, the agents, this is a great time to take a stand and get this point out in the front and get this into the next negotiations with the league as well to, to make sure that this gets cleared up in the future. Oh, most definitely. And as you said, with those uh, CBA negotiations uh, coming in just a couple years as the current CBA is set to expire after the 2020 season, this is a great time for players and agents to get their points across in order to uh, get the best deal possible uh, for the next CBA. And now let's talk about the team in your backyard, the New England Patriots. And for the first time in a while, at least in a few years, there is some uncertainty in that wide receiver core. He got Julian Edelman suspended for the first four games of the season, and the depth chart behind Chris Hogan is a mystery right now. He got Kenny Britt still on the PUP list. Jordan Matthews was placed on injured reserve today. Malcolm Mitchell is being shopped, and yesterday they worked out Eric Decker. And so far in training camp, which wide receivers not named Julian Edelman or Chris Hogan are making a case for a healthy role in this offense? Well, surprisingly, it's been Corderell Patterson and Philip Dorsett who have stood out so far. The Patriots seem determined after Patterson fell on his face in Minnesota and Oakland that they can turn him into some kind of offensive weapon and do something other than run a jet sweep, which is all that he's basically done besides return kicks. So they've been using him in the offense as a outside receiver. Um, Philip Dorsett was with the team last year, missed all of training camp. It was a trade right before the season started. He never seemed in sync with Brady. You're starting to see some of that um, working together, getting some consistency there. But I think the Patriots this year, you're going to see a lot more of the tight ends. Obviously, Rob Gronkowski, but a sleeper is their backup tight end who was an undrafted free agent, Jacob Hollister, who's taking a, a bigger role in the offense so far in the preseason. And that trio of running backs, all of whom can catch the ball out of the backfield and Rex Burkhead, Sony Michelle and James White. So they still have some options. It may not be the traditional multi-wide receiver look that teams are used to in the NFL, but uh, if anybody's going to come up with an offense that looks different, it's usually going to come out of New England. Oh, it most certainly is. And it's interesting that you mentioned Cordero Patterson because what quarterbacks like Tom Brady and like Peyton Manning uh, like, they want their receivers to be able to run fantastic routes and get open religiously. And Cordero Patterson is not known for being a great route runner. Heck, um, I'm not sure he's improved that much uh, since he came into the league as a guy barely knowing how to run a curl route, dare I say. So uh, it is going to be very interesting to see if Tom Brady can teach Cordero Patterson to run a complete NFL route tree in just one year. Do you think that's possible? I'm very skeptical based on the years of evidence of Patterson, but like I said, it seems like there's something about this guy that, you know, offensive coordinator um, Josh McDaniels has keyed in on him. They've been very high on him and talking him up. So, of course, they were talking up Jordan Matthews and he's gone now as well. So who knows what's going on in New England with that offense. But one way or another, they always seem to sort that out eventually. So we'll see if they can do it again 
this year with uh, Tom Brady in his 40s. Yes, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they distribute the ball this season in New England. And now let's go to Cleveland, where according to Hugh Jackson, Baker Mayfield has exceeded all expectations in training camp thus far, but the Browns head coach remains absolutely adamant that Tyrod Taylor will start week one. So for the moment, let's assume that Tyrod Taylor is set in stone as the guy behind center opening week. However, if Baker Mayfield translates his training camp performance so far to preseason play, how short of a leash would you put Tyrod Taylor on? I would have Tyrod Taylor on the same leash that Houston had last season heading into the season where, what was it, the first half? And <laughs> and then Deshaun Watson, yes, with Tom Savage, and Deshaun Watson took over after the first half. That's about the leash I'd give Tyrod Taylor if I was running things in Cleveland. Oh, absolutely. And Hugh Jackson, uh, it was just reported that they're trying out Joel Batonio at left tackle. And Joel Batonio has oh, been a... Pro Bowl caliber guard, if not all pro caliber guard for the Browns in recent years, and they're kicking him out to left tackle. Hugh Jackson, oh. I'm surprised this guy wasn't fired last year. <laughs> no, the only team that I've ever seen have a success kicking a guard out to tackle seems to be Baltimore. They seem to do it every couple of years. But, you know, gosh, you know, you, you get to spend the number one overall pick on a, a quarterback and you, you go in without a left tackle, that's kind of scary right there. Oh, absolutely. But my larger point points to Hugh Jackson. Uh, the Browns, a lot of people blamed Sashi Brown for the problems of the Browns uh, these past two seasons, and he was made to look like an absolute idiot on his way out the door. But I think the coaching deserves most of the blame. Like Greg Williams asking Jabril Peppers to play free safety last year, and when they asked uh, Greg Williams why they, he was lining up Jabril Peppers, who's much better at strong safety, at free safety, uh, Greg Williams said, oh, because I asked him to. And now Hugh Jackson is telling Joel Batonio to be left tackle. Are you freaking kidding me? The Browns have all this talent in the world and a coaching staff that has no clue on how to use it. And if Tyrod Taylor stinks up the joint in two weeks, the first two weeks of the season, and Baker Mayfield is not on the field by week three, if not sooner, I would fire Hugh Jackson if I were John Dorsey. Would you? I would. If I was John Dorsey, Hugh Jackson wouldn't even be in Cleveland. I don't know how anybody can go 1-31 and and keep their job. There's just no, no excuse for that at all. And, you know, you brought up Greg Williams. You know, the, the guy was a dinosaur on defense five years ago. What, what he was doing in Cleveland didn't make any sense to begin with. It's not a very good coaching staff. Hugh Jackson has done nothing over two years to show that he deserves this opportunity of a third season. I don't know if it's the, you know, they're so gun-shy after firing Rod Chudzinski after one season that they feel like they absolutely have to give him more time. I have no idea what they're doing in Cleveland. I haven't had an idea what they're doing in Cleveland for 20 years. It looks like more of the same, despite the influx of all these talented free agents and all of these high draft picks that they've been loading up on in the last three years. And all these talented evaluators and personnel people in that front office with John Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, the whole former Packers gang coming, coming over there. That should create optimism, but I think Jimmy Haslam is making them into puppets and granting them his wishes. And I think Jimmy Haslam is behind all this garbage to keep Hugh Jackson on the staff. 
it makes sense, David. I, I can't argue with that. With that in business, it always starts at the top. The buck stops at the top, and that's who's got the ultimate responsibility. And if Haslam is undercutting his staff, not putting them in the best position to succeed, well, that's why this team is a failure. Yes, and and if Haslam just keeps um, shaking that iron fist of his, I am going to feel very bad for John Dorsey in that front office. All great people, by the way, and phenomenal talent evaluators that made the right decisions in this year's draft. But uh, the problem is Jimmy Haslam is uh, giving that coaching staff who has no idea how to utilize them a longer-than-deserved uh, leash. But uh, let's uh, get out of Cleveland for a second and go to Carolina. And so far in training camp, Arguably, no team has been hurt more by the injury bug than the Carolina Panthers. Both offensive tackle Darrell Williams, who was becoming one of the best right tackles in the league and began talks on a long-term contract extension, for crying out loud, and Ross Cockrell, who was expected to be a starting corner for them, both of them suffered injuries that are likely season-ending. And when you add those injuries to a core with aging parts, especially Thomas Davis, Greg Olson, and Ryan Khalil, two of those three will be retiring after this season. Does that make you more convinced that the Carolina Panthers are the most likely 2017 NFC playoff team to be on the outside looking in in 2018? Uh, NFC, yes. I, I, I think you're right. These injuries, you know, the, the offensive line wasn't very strong in Carolina to start with. And having the loss of Darrell Williams, who is probably their arguably best tackle, but no doubt probably best or second best offensive lineman, that that's a huge blow to them. And again, on defense, on defense, you know, the one position where they didn't have a lot of depth was cornerback, and Cockrell was expected to start. That's you know two big blows right there. Right before the, you know, at, right at the beginning of training camp, that's tough to overcome right there uh, for Carolina, who is short on offensive playmakers and now short on defensive help in the secondary. Yes, and do you think they are the most likely NFC playoff team from last year to not make the playoffs this season? I think they. Are. Oh, I I think so. I mean, if you if you look at you know. The, the Rams, the Saints, the Vikings, the Eagles, everybody's expecting those four teams to be back. They were four of the five best teams in the NFL last year. Um, then you're looking at Carolina and Atlanta. Atlanta looks like they've added some help for Julio Jones with picking up Ridley in the first round. They should be competitive, provided Steve Sarkeesian doesn't run the offense into the ground. So Carolina's definitely in that position of, you know, in, in the toughest spot right there uh, to come back and, and try to make it back into the playoffs here in 2018. Plus, don't forget Aaron Rodgers is back, and if he stays healthy, the Packers are almost a guarantee to make the playoffs just because of him alone. Yeah, you got that. You've got Dallas, who's expected to bounce back. You've got San Francisco with Jimmy G mania out there. They're predicting, like, they're going to waltz into the playoffs there, so... You've got a lot of improved teams. Detroit was right on the outside. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that team does with a little potentially uh, tougher defense and maybe finally get a little bit of a running game. So there's a lot of talent in the NFC, and that's going to be a tight race to begin with. So it's tough for any team to be losing ground this early in the season. Oh, it most certainly is. But if you think things are bad in Carolina right now, things might be going from bad to worse in Seattle. After the offseason that saw the dissolution of the Legion of Boom, 
Earl Thomas is not at camp and is unlikely to report anytime soon. Defensive end Deion Jordan, who they're counting on to replace the retired Cliff Averill, is apparently suffering from a similar ailment that sidelined Raiders cornerback Gary and Conley for nearly the entire 2017 campaign. And, as was reported today, Doug Baldwin will likely be sidelined for the entire preseason with a knee injury. And having lost Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham, Doug Baldwin's the only bona fide target Russell Wilson has to throw to this year. And yesterday, NFL insider Benjamin Albright tweeted that the Seahawks, uh, he believes, would have the worst record in the NFL this season. How bad can it get for the Super Bowl 48 champions in 2018? Well, I I can't imagine it's going to be that bad uh, to be the worst record in the NFL or even in the NFC. Uh, they still have a heck of a quarterback who's shown that he can pull out wins. I don't think there's a lot of life left in Brandon Marshall as a receiver. I think they're counting on Tyler Lockett to take a big step forward. They've got Dwayne Brown locked up at left tackle, which has been a sore spot for that offensive line for years. So they should still be able to steal some games like Russell Wilson has always done. Rashad Penny, if he can help out in the passing game as well, can help alleviate some of those losses. For Seattle, as strange as it seems, it's going to come down to that defense. And, and you know, you mentioned Deion Jordan. Just the thought of a team putting so much faith in Deion Jordan, who has done nothing but destroy the faith of everybody who's put anybody into anything into him in his short NFL career seemed outrageous at the time coming into this season and seems even more outrageous now that there's injury issues as well. Yeah, I agree. The Seahawks should have hit rock bottom because Russell Wilson is easily one of the top five, top seven quarterbacks in this league right now. But I think a last place finish at like 6-10 and 10 in that super competitive uh, NFC West is not out of the question. Well, they should stay ahead of Arizona, or at least in, the, the, in that same realm. And I'm not as high on San Francisco. I love Jimmy Garoppolo being from New England. His play last season in those last five games were against some pretty bad teams. Uh, the Rams trotted out half of their defense, if that many players against him. It's an unsustainable level of play that he had. Um, so there's not, that's a very strong division, but I think it all still goes through the Rams there. And you've got three teams that are somewhere in that six to eight win category between San Francisco, Arizona, and Seattle, and all three somewhere in that range. Oh, most definitely. And now let's talk about that other quarterback from the 2012 draft class that is talked about on the same level as Russell Wilson, and that is Andrew Luck. And so far, the word out of Colts camp is that Andrew Luck has been superb. The rapport between T.Y. Hilton and him has essentially picked up right where it left off, as was evidenced today where they connected five times in practice. And I obviously want to wait and see if Luck's progress translates to the field in preseason play, but there is another person in this equation that cannot be discounted whatsoever, and that is Frank Reich, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And everybody that was rightfully excited by the play calling of Andy Reid and Doug Peterson last season is obviously excited to see how Matt Nagy utilizes that playbook in Chicago. But Frank Reich is obviously part of that same coaching tree. And do you think that those same people should be hopeful and 
if not excited, that Frank Reich can successfully turn around Andrew Luck's career and make him into that Hall of Fame caliber quarterback we all believed he could be coming out of Stanford? Well, I, I think a lot of it isn't going to be on Frank Reich, but it's going to be on that offensive line. And if they can keep Luck upright, he is so talented. I mean, people forget, you know, how well he played in 2012, 2013, 2014, and those teams that were so lacking in talent that he was able to push into the playoffs. So I like Frank Reich. I was kind of concerned with his hiring where he wasn't as involved in the play calling as most offensive coordinators are, you know, um, Doug Peterson kept a lot of that to himself in Philadelphia. But as we've seen from that Andy Reid tree there, these other coaches like Peterson himself, who wasn't calling a lot of plays under Reid certainly had no problem picking it up once he was given his own opportunity. So I think Frank Reich was a, is a, is a very good hire. He's from a good system. It's a, it's a great offense for Andrew Luck. And it's going to come down to whether these, uh, you know, if Quentin Nelson can step in on day one and start, if Anthony Costanzo can stay healthy this year, if they can get that offensive line to hold together and have some of these young defensive players step up in Indianapolis, and then you're looking at a great battle in the AFC South because you've basically got four very, very good teams in that in that conference. Oh, and that division especially. But I don't expect the Colts to make it to the playoffs this season. There's still a lot of holes on that roster that should be filled in the years ahead by Chris Ballard, the very talented uh, GM of the Colts. But if what we're hearing about Andrew Luck in Colts camp is true, and he is able to show in preseason that he's on the right track, and this season, if he's able to show that he can produce at a high level with uh, unproven amount of weapons around him, aside from T.Y. Hilton, I think people have to be very optimistic that Andrew Luck can become the player we all thought he would be and that he showed signs of being the first three years of his career. Oh, I agree, definitely. I am in, you know, I think it would be great for the NFL to have Andrew Luck back. The more young quarterbacks producing that the league has, the better for the league, the better for the, the overall competitiveness of that league. And like I said, you know, Andrew Luck took a lot of teams without a lot of talent to the playoffs, and I'm not ready to count him out right now, um, and especially if he's back to full strength coming into 2018. Oh, I absolutely hope he is. Definitely looking forward to watching him uh, beginning next week. And now let's talk about some individual standouts from these training camps. Uh, what player has uh, stood out to you based on what you've read and heard around the league this first week of training camp? Well, there's a lot of lot of good players out there that have jumped off the page. Um, how many of them are going to sustain that? These younger players, it's it's hard to tell at this point. Um, the one I brought up earlier in New England, second year player, undrafted free agent last year at tight end. I think that you know seeing Jacob Hollister taking these these big steps forward in the offense, there was a lot expected of him last year. And it was definitely a learning experience, but but he's a young player who looks like he could be that second tight end that New England has been looking for seemingly since the the whole Aaron Hernandez debacle started uh, in the t 2013, 
thirteen season there. So that's a that's a young player who's been getting great reviews. He can stretch the field vertically from the tight end position. He's improved as a blocker. And the thought of New England having two downfield threats at tight end with him lining up next to Rob Gronkowski should be a very scary thing for the rest of the NFL. Oh, it would be very interesting to see if Jacob Hollister can be the guy that uh, the Patriots expect him to be. That would be tremendously scary and would give 41-year-old Tom Brady more uh, longevity, giving him those quick, big targets over the middle to avoid uh, him getting hit all the time. Uh, so uh, those two big targets will allow Brady to get rid of the ball even quicker than he does right now, which is very, very quick. <laughs> but I was thinking of three younger players uh, that are standing out in three different camps. When you go to the Eagles, they are absolutely bullish on Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones was their second-round pick in the 2017 draft from Washington. He would have been a first-round pick had he not suffered an Achilles injury during his pro day. But they are absolutely bullish on him right now, and he is getting a crack to be the starting slot corner. And Lewis Riddick of ESPN was observing their practice a couple days ago, and he was just absolutely impressed with how all of the cornerbacks look, including Sidney Jones. And he tweeted out that if the Eagles corners play the way they did uh, when I saw them, the Eagles defense is going to be even more dangerous this year. I think he's on to something. Do you? Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the thought of the Eagles adding even more depth to that defense is extremely scary with that with the number of pass rushers they can run out up front. They go up by with very good but not great cornerbacks and adding a first round talent like Sidney Jones, if healthy, can be at a dynamic level to that defense and keep them right there at the uh, top of that NFC pack of, of contenders. Absolutely, and their biggest offseason loss was the loss of Patrick Robinson, um, who was one of the highest-graded slot corners, according to Pro Football Focus, last season, I believe. Patrick Robinson went to the Saints, and to get a potential upgrade over Patrick Robinson, who was a pretty damn good player at Sidney Jones, could make the Eagles an even tougher out for opposing offenses. And another standout, let's go out west to Denver. And I am talking about Cortland Sutton, their second-round draft pick, the big wide receiver out of SMU, former basketball player, 6'3", 218-ish, um, although he might have ran a 4'5", four, 4 in the 40, which is expected for guys of that size, but his three-cone was otherworldly. It was like 6'3", for a guy that size, and that is alien-like. And he is making big play after big play every single day. He is religiously mossing people in the end zone. And Case Keenum is trusting him despite his route deficiencies. And uh, Cortland Sutton has some very similar weaknesses that Demarius Thomas had coming out of college as they were raw athletes that that didn't have the nuances of the position um, quite under their feet yet. But if Cortland Sutton continues this development throughout the season... And when you take into account that Demarius Thomas is north of 30 years old and he has a $17 million cap it next year, I think Demarius Thomas has to be worried about his long-term future in Denver, especially if Cortland Sutton continues on this course. 
Oh, definitely. Denver is definitely going to be looking at that because, again, they're going to be needing that cap space that Thomas is going to be eating up in the future to fill in those other positions um, to get those playmakers on offense. And you've got somebody like Sutton, who's 6'3", 220 pounds, and and gets up in the air and makes those Randy Moss-like catches. That's That's just to have that big body, that quickness, that those ball skills, and that ability to, to go up to the top of your catch radius and be able to bring the football down with control is something that just makes it almost indefensible in the NFL. There's no way to defend those players, and you see the ones like the Julio Jones who can do that and what a weapon they become. Oh, absolutely right. Demarius Thomas, uh, I think uh, he has to start worrying about his long-term future Denver ball out this year because uh, it could be his last year there if Cortland Sutton uh, continues this uh, rate of development. And another rookie wide receiver turning heads at trading cap is Anthony Miller of the Chicago Bears. Uh, The Chicago Bears uh, traded their second-round pick in 2019 to the Patriots to trade up 50 spots to get Anthony Miller, and he's showing exactly why. He is a Doug Baldwin, Adam Thielen-type receiver that gets open religiously. He is beating everybody with every single route in the book. And yes, uh, he has Trey Burton, and he has Allen Robinson, but I think Anthony Miller is that quick target that gets open all the time that Mitch Trubisky will be looking for constantly as um, his first or second reads in between the 20s this year. Uh, don't you think so? Oh, definitely. I mean, Trubisky needs that that safety valve. He's got Tariq Cohen, who should be playing a bigger role coming out of the backfield as well, but waiting for Allen Robinson to get open. Trey Burton, as good as he looked in spurts in Philadelphia, has never been that number one man at tight end, so he's still a little bit of an unknown. And he, you know, being able to to have Anthony Miller step in and replace Kendall right there in Chicago should be a big upgrade for that offense if he can continue to flash like he's been doing so far in camp. It's Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at bostonsportpage.com and follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, it's always a pleasure having you on the program. It's a weekly ritual during football season, and we look forward to having you on next week as well. But before we let you go here, uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame game tonight between the Ravens and the Bears. What are you watching for in this game? Well, I think if the I think myself, like everybody else in the world, wants to see that first round pick for the Baltimore Ravens back there at quarterback and see what he can do and is he going to put a dent into the Joe Flacco era sooner rather than later. Oh, yes. Uh, Joe Flacco is reportedly having one of his best camps in years, uh, and rightfully so. He could be playing with that extra chip on his shoulder because of the arrival of Lamar Jackson. But I am looking for one thing in particular with Lamar Jackson. Are the Ravens using him in that uh, cliche-type way they think of these so-called athletic quarterbacks, these running quarterbacks? Or are they using him as that pass-first quarterback that he really was at Louisville and that he can develop into in the NFL? That is going to be another thing to watch for tomorrow night. Oh, definitely. And, And you brought that up last week when we talked as well about his abilities in the pocket. Uh, coming out of Louisville as well. And we saw that on the tape coming into the draft. And 
for Baltimore, that's that's going to be key. I mean, they've got the offense in place already with Flacco, and if they they can give Jackson a chance to thrive in that offense as well, then that should be a very interesting thing to watch for uh, in that Hall of Fame game. Yes, and I'm obviously interested in seeing uh, how much uh, Anthony Miller plays in that Hall of Fame game uh, because uh, he could be uh, that underrated uh, weapon for the Bears offense this season. Definitely. I mean, in the draft, it was almost a surprise. He, there was a lot of talk right before the draft about him flying up to that end of the first round. Obviously, we didn't see that, but it looks like he's showing the talent that maybe some of those teams at the end of the first round may have made a mistake uh, not taking a chance on him. Oh, absolutely. Did you see the tape he put up against UCLA this past year? He, like, took over that game in the second half. He is a dynamic receiver, and I, I don't know if it was just a matter of... I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yes. Um, a Jones fracture, and those are obviously hard, hard to come back from because they have a high rate of re-injury. That could have been why, but other than that, Anthony Miller should be a staple for this Bears offense for years to come. Hal Bent, thank you so much once again. We'll see you next week. All right, David, thank you. Looking forward to football starting this week. Thank you, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week with a look at the first full week of preseason action and a lot more, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.